about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Black Panther, released in February 2018, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach allegedly advocating deselection at Labour on screening of I, Daniel Blake, Martin Scorsese's Rolex celebrates the art of storytelling advert, or Jennifer Aniston in Dumpin' instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Black Panther when I live-tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. It would have been so easy to botch this, but that's the strength of the films all being different. Respects culture, more strong female characters than male, and a plot about allowing an entitled yet passionate and misguided nationalist to take charge, upsetting all the right people. That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give her thoughts on Black Panther is theatre critic Shanine Salmon. Shanine, where can people find you? They can find me on at Braintree underscore on Twitter and on the website View from the Cheap Seat, where I've got a nice contact form if you uh, want to talk about theatre. OK, well, before we go any further, Shanine, what happens in Black Panther? So Black Panther kind of is a continuation of basically a few scenes in Civil War. So Civil War, which is not one of my favourite Marvel films, but it does set up Black Panther quite nicely. Basically, there's the whole chords and the king of Wakanda, played by John Carney, who is a very good theatre actor. I saw him recently. He basically dies in the bombing and this sets up the Black Panther as we know it. So Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa basically then becomes king of Wakanda and as a result becomes the Black Panther. So it kind of, in an unusual film, you would have that set up at the beginning of the Black Panther. You'd have some kind of introduction, you'd have him, his father die, and then you'd have this story. And I think why Black Panther works is it kind of puts that in another film and you already know who the Black Panther is and what he's been through. So Black Panther is really kind of setting him up and he is basically finding himself. So what you see in the film is him becoming not only king, but becoming Black Panther. So the setup is Wakanda is has this wonderful material which is a lot in the marvel universe before this point but these five african tribes are at war over it and then the black panther is the one who unites them all he's the one who's the most powerful except the jabari tribe and they form this nation so what happened what we see in black panther is all the tribes agreeing that t'challa should be king except with Duke as M'Baku, who is the leader of the mountain tribe, the Japari, who protest about him being king. And you see them sort of fighting it out. And you expect that he's going to become the great enemy in the film, except they go down another route, which is to have the lovely Michael B. Jordan as Eric Killmonger Stevens. He is the antagonist. So he is American. It becomes clear, or turns out, he's the. Uh, what am I talking about? The nephew, yeah, nephew of John Carney's character, T'Chaka. So he's his nephew, and he's been brought up in America, and he symbolises these kind of the African American struggle. America's being heavily segregated. It hasn't really had much support. As this character sees it from Wakanda, and maybe symbolism for support of Africa. So of Africa for a long time 
you know, is this developing country? And that's how Wakanda kind of keeps on the lowdown. It disguises itself as this developing country. But actually, if you go into the sort of secret portal, you will see it's this slightly weird Sim City Dubai type place. But it's clear they're actually living quite a good life. And the question is, why didn't Wakanda do more? You know, it was never colonised. It could have helped, you know, African dysphoria better itself. And that's the war really that we see. It's the war between this Africa that has wonderful opportunities and African-Americans or the sort of African dysphoria that has been around the world that hasn't had the opportunities that Wakanda has. So there's a lot going on in this film. Yeah, it's one of my favourites just for that reason. It's not purely, I think it was marketed as great. Here's a black superhero film. And it's a lot more than that. Well, you've partly answered my next question in mentioning Civil War, but what did you know about Black Panther before you saw Black Panther? Not much, really. I mean, I'm not one of those who sort of read the comic books or anything, really. I I got into the Marvel Universe because my partner bought most of them on Blu-ray. So I haven't seen anything officially when it's been released in the cinema yet. All my viewing has been at home via Blu-rays, via Disney+, Plus, because I wasn't really a superhero film person, really. So my only knowledge of Black Panther at the time it came out was lots of my black colleagues really excited about this film. And partly because I think you had such a, a large black cast, but not only a large black cast, but a cast of varying skin tones. There's a lot of issues of colour I think in cinema and Black Panther kind of really addressed that so that's why I was interested in it how is a black superhero film going to work and how is it going to be mainstream without alienating not only white audiences but the reason why black films traditionally don't do very well is because of for example Chinese audiences say they don't want that in China so we're not going to send them that film and that lowers box office takings well I was quite excited because Black Panther was one of my favourite characters from when I was young but I only really knew him from appearances in other things like when they did the UK Fantastic Four comic in the 80s with all the reprinting he quite often showed up in that with unusual storylines like I remember there was one where he refused to get involved with releasing some political prisoners somewhere they all seem to be more thought-provoking storylines and he was a character that i liked when i was young but i kind of forgotten about since and i was surprised when they announced the film because he was kind of a back of my mind character i sort of almost forgotten about him and apparently when i looked into it there were talks in the 90s with wesley snipes about doing a black panther film but Stanley yes. vetoed the script because he thought it wasn't really trying to do what they'd originally set out to do with the character in the comics and that's basically how Blade came about. Yeah, I think Wesley Snipes would have been very good in it as well, actually. You know, at that time in his career and his youth. But I don't think it would have worked at that point in time. I don't think we've had... Why Black Panther worked in 2018 when it wouldn't have worked in, say, sort of 94, I think they were talking about, so the mid-90s, is sort of social media. You know, those movements, you know, Black Lives Matter, all those sorts of things happened. I think a 90s Black Panther would have been very kind of, you know, Los Angeles riots and that kind of atmosphere which I don't think I said I think you've, you've touched on it but Black Panther is kind of in some ways he's quite righteous and I think that works what makes him slightly different from the other Marvel characters he is he's royal you know he is regal and he comes from that background he's not just someone who had a bit of money and just is playing around like Tony Stark is as Iron Man so yeah I think Wesley Snipes would be interesting I think what the other thing I found really interesting 
and I this going back to more the X Men side of things is that in the comics Black Panther is married to Storm and allegedly Angela Bassett was approached to play Storm and she turned it down or they didn't think she was right for the part. So it's interesting that she's now playing Black Panther's mother and kind of what they do because again what ended up happening with the X Men is that you ended up with Halle Berry who is a sort of actress of, of dual heritage playing Storm. Whereas in the comics the story of Storm is she's very African. You know that's key to the Storm's character. And yeah I don't know if that the, the symbolism or the imagery as as Angela Bassett as basically the mother the queen mother as they call her like but a more glamorous one than we had she's has this silver hair and I don't know if it, that is them sort of invoking that storm imagery but yeah it's I don't know how it would have worked I think as I said Wizards have been very good but I, I don't think it would have worked at that time really well I think you're exactly right about that because that's my first thought was it they've gone down that route and apparently there is a slightly troubled production history to the film because two directors were kind of rejected on the basis that they wanted to make it like that first of all there was Ava DuVernay really wanted to take it down that route and she quit voluntarily F. Gary Gray was considered and it didn't work out and he immediately went to make straight out of Compton which I think kind of you can draw some parallels between mm. you know, his approach ended up with Ryan Coogler who'd obviously he directed Fruitvale Station which is a true life story about police brutality and Creed and I think both of those point towards what I really liked about exactly like you say about Black Panther was that you know whereas in Luke Cage the Netflix series that very much trades on you know that black urban America experience and even now the lingering effects of the riots and so on are kind of still echoed in it in this although you know there is the bit set in 1992 which kind of looks like a gang star video but in a deliberate way <laughs> and they refer to the Grace Jones looking chicks outside the door who were obviously Wakandans come to confront them but you got other interesting touches like at the start when it's got the tribal art and it takes you a couple of seconds to realise it actually depictions the second world war a scene like Wakanda but drawn in like a tribal way it's much more it's a different kind of politicised like I've mentioned it's about propagating respect for culture rather than sticking yeah. two fingers up really yeah it's kind of mixing that because I think it's the idea that yes Wakanda is, is very African but it's an Africa that isn't it could exist but it doesn't really so you have what I found really interesting when I was re-watching it last week was the landscapes so as you said you've got the Afrofuturistic which kind of looks like SimCity and doesn't really work as well but actually what I really like there's a scene where they're walking through the market and you've got people with like blue afros and you know what I mean it feels really thriving and you get that sense that this is kind of a very hot country but it isn't a generic African country it's kind of saying well actually there's nothing particularly as we go forward there's nothing why re- no reason why countries in Africa can't look like Wakanda because their economies are growing and they're doing all these things so it's not it doesn't portray Africa in the way that you've probably seen Africa which is these poor countries that are developing and you know fought wars and all those kind of things it actually seems quite steady and it's a nice depiction of the continent and the people within it too well I think that's really reflected in the treatment of two characters in it I mean the first one I'll just mention is you mentioned Mbaku before do you know what he was called in the comics he was eight man and they want to move they wanted to move away from that yes yeah yeah because it is a bit racist so we can't have that but 
I think the gorilla imagery really works in those Yeah, that was scenes. Ryan Coogler's logic was that, you know, it does work in the, it doesn't seem offensive in the comic format because, you know, you go straight in, you've got the whole vista of the gorilla worship that the tribe do, but you just say it in the film and it sounds wrong. And I think he made exactly the right call there, which is something you've done quite a lot with characters in these films. But the other key character is Shuri, who's mm. T'Challa's younger sister, who is the scientific genius, who wears what's basically a bit of Wakandan designer gear, is really irreverent, doesn't care for tradition, and there's a lovely scene where they're inspecting some new Black Panther suit she's made for him, and they're arguing like they're being forced to share a toy as children. <laughs> I really found, when I was making my notes when I was re-watching it, I found the character, which I hadn't noticed when I first watched it, the character of Shuri is basically cue to the Black Panther yes. and once you kind of see that there's I mean there's probably more but the other scene that really stuck out for me as well is when they're kind of in that South Korean casino and that feels like it's something out of Skyfall and I don't when I initially watched it I was like are they trying to make Chad Bond or is that what they're going down I don't think that's it at all I kind of now think it's Ryan Coogler's audition for a Bond film it possibly is but that whole sequence where it introduces Martin Freeman who we'll come back to in a minute but the chase afterwards using what you discover is Shuri driving a virtual car. She's actually still back in Wakanda. Yeah. That whole sequence, they, they do car chases really well in these films and each one of them feels different but that is better than anything I've ever seen in a bomb film. It's just astonishing and it doesn't let up at all. No. And also, Okoye and Nokia are like, just trading insults throughout it. <laughs> it yes, really yeah. It. And it's, yeah, it's really about I think, as I said, there's those bombs elements but you're right it still feels like a superhero film and not you know it's kind of going well what how far can we push technology which you couldn't in bond you couldn't really have anything like that because in bond the technology is things that are feasible but they're kind of a bit fantastical whereas here yeah you can't have someone in another area virtually driving a car yeah i find it a really sort of interesting take on the superhero film it looks visually i think it's very different to anything else in the franchise as well and for me i think it's it fits really well in phase three where phase three in some ways the marvel universe is really established like, like it knows it can put out a film and it'll make lots of money but it can also be a bit experimental so it can try these sort of new directors who aren't necessarily associated with superhero films but have shown themselves so you said you've got cooler who did something like creed and then you have the third fourth film as well that has um i apologize if i pronounce his name wrong taika watiti is that right uh, who is not known again for superhero films but he embraces it and he puts his own mark on it and to have that kind of confidence in these kind of young directors really shows the confidence in the franchise well i think i do think it's really significant that this was one of three films in 2018 because there was this there was avengers infinity war which is genuinely terrifying in places and mm. a massive cliffhanger and immediately after that you've got ant-man and the wasp which is essentially a rom-com it's basically a screwball romantic comedy with an amusing take on that cliffhanger at the end of it you know so three completely different films that are united by continuity and just a sense that they all belong together I think that's really really that should be celebrated more than you know certain people snorting at them yeah and this feels I think that's what's interesting about Black Panther because it does feel to me like actually if you look at the early part of the Marvel universe there's a lot of setting up there's a lot of kind of just establishing these characters before you can even get into a story and because you've got this set up in Civil War you don't need to do that you can kind of go the audience are familiar with this character they know what he's capable of this is just 
just a chance to get to know him better and to see what he does, you know, as king and what he faces. And I think for me, as I said, I've ranted elsewhere, Civil War has its faults. You know, I don't think it's it's a good film but it's not a captain america film and i've seen the justification for it being oh well, it's about captain america developing and changing but all the characters develop and change in that film there is no reason why that should have just been a generic avengers film and then have a separate captain america film about captain america that's my main issue with it but also the contrast in the enemy that black panther has in civil war which you initially thinks he's bucky barnes but is actually that whose apologies i've forgotten the name of the the character because i really that's the worst villain in all the marvel universe <laughs> so it's just boring it's just so boring whereas you have that contrast with michael b jordan's performance who i don't think michael b jordan is up until that point was seen as that kind of actor it's a villain but it's a very likable villain really he's not actually but he does bad things but i don't think he's a bad person yeah you kind of see his point yes to an yeah. extent i think it's significant i don't know if this was an actual decision in the casting of him but michael b jordan was wallace in the wire who for anyone who's not seen the wire is basically a kid who's too young to be out on the street dealing drugs but his family decide they need the money and that's that and wallace his fate is pivotal to pretty much everything else that happens in the wire i think there's some aspect of that in there like one person getting drawn into something kind of against their will because it's how well again it's his parental lineage has defined him you know how that yeah. changes everyone else's lives i think that's a really really significant parallel and like you say he's a tremendous actor as well yeah he seems very comfortable and i think that's what struck me as well because this isn't like a big name cast like in some ways you've got some of the biggest african-american actors so you've got angela bassett in you've got forrest whitaker you've got a few people that you kind of you recognize but they're not necessarily the a-list that you would maybe expect it's kind of the sort of thing where you go oh there's no denzel washington and there's no james l jones and there's none of those people that actually about 10 20 years before you would have just thrown those people into those films because that's what you had what black panther shows is actually there's a huge range of black actors across the world really so you've got letitia wright ashuri who's british you've obviously got lupito oh god i'm gonna terrible at pronouncing names but i'm just going to call her lapita because that's everyone knows who i'm talking about you know oscar winner who's kind of this sort of mexican african actress and you've got sort of relative newcomers so chad is not a huge star name i don't i think even now apart from black panther he would be quite a hard sell really but he carries this film really well and with a real class to him that i don't think a lot of actors could i think a lot of actors would be very sort of me 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 because he's such a classy performance you can afford to take him out of the film for quite a while actually so when he sort of disappears off the edge and people assume he's died and then eric killmonger takes over as as king you kind of don't you don't feel insecure because you've got this great performance from michael b jordan but you then have this key scene for me i think is mbuku and you you're in his territory and it's this sort of icy african mountain and it's just yeah i just think it's it's a really beautiful film i think i know just reading that apparently critics said the computer effects weren't that great but i don't think that's what you need no i i found that really strange because i actually think it doesn't feel like it's generated there's one of one of my complaints about it is i think you could have more ranges of kind of african architecture so as i said i I described it said when you see it from afar it looks a bit like sim city but then when you kind of delve deeper in then it really looks beautiful as a landscape 
And yeah, I found that quite strange because, yeah, I think it looks as good as any other Marvel film, to be honest. It's clear that there's a lot of money spent on it and it looks very different from the Marvel films. You know, if it had been a separate entity, it would have worked because you'd have said, look, this is just a superhero film about the Black Panther. It's not necessarily part of the Marvel universe. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it to me as well, it kind of has so much going on that you think there is a lot to do. So it doesn't actually, for example, kill off that many people, for example. You know, you feel like a film like that, there could be a real bloodbath, and there isn't at all. You only kind of lose the Andy Serkis character. Yeah, Ulysses Claw, who was going to mention, because sadly it's his last appearance, but he does actually yeah. gain Claw's metal hand from the comics. But also, under interrogation, sings What is Love by Hathaway. Yeah! <laughs> you see that? It's called diplomacy. You're welcome. Oh, queer. But they're nice. Americans. Don't hurt me. No more. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. <clears throat> you know, you really shouldn't trust the Wakandans on much more your speed. But it's, again, it's a very kind of, him being white South African feels like so right. Like you couldn't just have him as like some random American guy or, or whatever. He has to have that link to Africa to expose what he thinks is the hypocrisy of Wakanda. So you've even got someone like him who they never really portray him as necessarily racist. It's more that he thinks, well, actually, you've got all this equipment. Again, why aren't you doing more with it? And as the Black Panther and T'Challa says, you know, he says, well, you know, I'm looking out for my people that, you know, no other leader would be judged if they were just looking out for their people but suddenly they have this kind of responsibility as you know leaders in Africa to be concerned about everyone in the world and they don't have the resources to do that but you do get sort of some redemption really where he kind of realizes well actually maybe we should be doing more why are we hiding away and to what purpose and tries to right the wrongs of his father who was protecting, yeah, protecting his citizens, really. And that's why he ends up killing his own brother, because his brother was putting his citizens at risk, and as king, you can't have that. Well, we should just mention the one major white cast member who isn't portrayed in any way as the white character at all, which is Martin Freeman as Everett Ross. Yes, I really like Martin Freeman this. I'm not usually a fan of his. Yeah, But exactly. he really works, and it really feels like, yeah, you're right, it's not about him at all. It's about him being the outsider. And the obvious thing in a film like this is to have obviously a white actor as the outsider but I remember I think when the film came out both Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis saying they'd never had a situation like that as actors where they were in the minority and you just think goodness me like it's 2018 those were yeah. both men with sort of careers of what sort of 10-15 years plus where they were always in the majority where they'd always been amongst the other lots of white people on set and you just think god that's incredible well i think it's interesting i mean they deliberately made in the comics everett ross was quite often kind of the fact that he was a slightly cowardly white man slightly ineffectual was often played upon but here it's basically just he's a cia man who works with wakanda he acts like one of the tribe and eventually they just treat him like one of the tribe because he takes a bullet for is it koye he takes a bullet for yes but from that point on he is one of the gang almost he joins in with the battle at the end and it isn't addressed it's like almost because he's sympathetic and because he believes in Wakanda as much as they do it's treated like he's he's an outsider but he's not an outsider yes 
exactly. And they, considering how closed off they are as a people, they don't seem to have an issue with him as an outsider. I think there's a few that are like, well, you know, yes, he took a bullet and why do we have to look after him? But actually, there is an air of it's not, they've closed themselves off to protect themselves against outsiders. If an outsider shows they're a good person, then you're more than welcome into the sort of Wakanda family. So it could, yeah, I think you could have portrayed Wakanda as this really isolated, unwelcoming place. And I never get that impression at all, actually, that if someone had come in, they would say, OK, you're now a Wakandan. And that's that was their approach. Well, I think it's really significant that you know, there have been people in some previous films, notably Christopher Eccleston, where I couldn't just get into their performance because I was just looking at them and thinking, that's Christopher Eccleston, that's Chris O'Dowd. Martin Freeman is somebody I tend to think that about. Yes. But it lasted yeah. about a second because he completely inhabits his character. His accent might be a little bit shaky, but even forget about that pretty much straight yeah. away. You don't think of Watson, you don't think of Tim from The Office, you don't think of <laughs> the man from Meet the Robinsons or whatever. <laughs> He's not being Martin Freeman in it, which is not a sentence I thought I'd ever find myself saying. No, it is, and it's kind of yeah, to take that, in some ways, a risk on that character. I know he'd been in sort of previous films, and it's he'd obviously signed like a multi-film deal, but yeah, it doesn't feel like it's odd. And I agree with you, there are some performances, there's some people that come into the Marvel Universe and you're quite distracted by the performances or you're distracted by what you know them for. So not so much British actors, but Spider-Man Homecoming, when Michael Keaton's in it, you're constantly like, surely there should be some reference that he was Batman at some point. There should be like a little in-joke that that happens. And it never does. And you're constantly waiting for that to happen. It's like I said, it's, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's a really strong performance from, from Freeman. And it's a really strong character because you need that person to come in and sort of realise how incredible this place is because the other characters don't because they live there and they just think that's how everyone should live if they don't already but the weird thing is we don't see him in Infinity War or Endgame and we don't know whether he made it through the snap or not but that's a discussion for another there's, time that's, yeah well maybe we'll see him in phase four and we'll find out what <laughs> happened yeah and I think that's the other thing as well actually this is to me so I talk about you know Black Panther's introduction in the Civil War which is built up to this but this kind of isn't the end so obviously there will be a Black Panther sequel I think in 2022 but it has that build up to infinity war where they they have the battle in wakanda so it sets it up nicely for that you kind of know the space as an audience member you kind of go oh yeah we've seen battles here before and we know it works and we know that they have all this great technology and it makes for a really interesting battle but yeah it's about for me it's about having that that link that isn't too sort of cheesy and too obvious it's kind of nicely set up and it's quite subtle how you bring kind of Wakanda into the future and I think Black Panther by far will be the greatest success because it's managed to do something which a lot of films can't do which is to say a primarily black film can get audiences in and it can make a lot of money and it can be popular and I don't think that's a Marvel thing I think it's a testament to Black Panther as a character but also Coogler as a director and his casting as well. Well that kind of brings us on neatly to the two post-credit scenes which the first one is quite functional it's, although it's nice to see which is basically T'Challa turns up at the United Nations and announces Wakanda is going to do more internationally mm. and Everett Ross smiles and <laughs> it's a nice payoff but it doesn't really go anywhere but the other one is quite startling because harking back to Civil War and also the idea of them being accepting to outsiders 
is you find out what's going on with Bucky Barnes. Yes, and after what happened, I know obviously, you know, they kind of at that point, they realise, yes, Bucky Barnes did those things, but he was not doing them as, as Bucky Barnes. So it shows, yeah, it shows quite a forgiving nation and possibly a message about African, in particular, to put a whole, you know, continent, but Africa's relationship with the world as these nations that have been quite fragmented and quite shut off in some ways geographically, but also financially and all those kind of things. But also, you know, African-Americans relationship with their nations about forgiveness. And Eric Killmonger is the side that says, no, we can't forgive. And he's angry at everything. He's angry at Wakanda. He's angry at America and the upbringing he's had. And that really, to me, sums up the issues that you see still now. I mean, you'll be talking about, you know, Michael B. Jordan was in The Wire and The Wire is a fantastic example of that division between black and white. And even where black people are majority as they are in Baltimore, they still have the same sufferings as a lot of African-Americans do and minorities in America. And this comes at a time as well. So this is 2018. So this is a couple of years after Trump's been elected and America has no doubt gone backwards in its race relations. And I think it needs, I think the world needs films like Black Panther to kind of go, yes, this is what is happening, but this is how we can improve things. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it's interesting for obviously where Marvel and where the story, particularly with Bucky Barnes, Barnes's story goes next but also you can't make a film like Black Panther and not be political even if it's very subtle well that might lead into my final question which is <laughs> Shanine if you had access to the heart-shaped herb and the abilities that came with it what would you use it for oh goodness you know what as we're recording this in lockdown I think right now it'd be just a chance to go out the house whenever I wanted <laughs> and for however long I wanted in more general I'm, I'm not sure I don't know I think based on my obsession with Mbaku I would just become his wife that's how I would do it I'd bring the tribes together Wakandu and <laughs> and the and the, the eight men and yeah I'd live happily with him well I don't have anything to say in response to that <laughs> Janine thank you and Excelsior thank you If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It Could Accept It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.